Hey there, welcome to the Theology Of podcast. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Riker. And we're two college students who love studying scripture and having meaningful biblical conversations. When we think about theology, most of our thoughts probably stay within the four walls of the church. But in doing so, we're really limiting our understanding of God's infinite nature. And so each episode, we'll be tackling an everyday, secular-seeming topic and discussing what the faith has to say about it, both conceptually and practically. So thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to buckle up, keep your hands and feet inside the proverbial vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the final episode of season one of the Theology of. We are beyond thankful that you're here. We say that every episode, but it doesn't mean we mean it any less. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. It's been an honor for us, honestly. And we are just so thankful for this fun outlet to explore theology and grow our own understanding, and provide that for others as well. So, yeah. Yeah, it's cool to look back at all the different episodes that we've done so far and just see the way that each of those is focused on a certain area of our life. But when we put them all together, we start to see this bigger picture as faith goes into all the different categories of our life. So, yeah. Yeah, it's been one heck of a ride, but we made it Mm -hmm. 15 episodes later. Last, but certainly not least on our list of topics for this season is etc. You might be really confused about that, asking what we mean by that. Don't worry, we'll explain real quick. Basically, we're gonna be doing a bunch of many episodes all jammed together. So we took suggestions from you guys. We thought of our own ideas of topics that might not have enough content for a full episode, but still have significance and we still have thoughts on them. And so we're going to take all those and just mash them up together and see how it turns out. (laughs) Yep. We'll figure out along the way. Mm -hmm. To kick things off, Our first of five topics that we're going to be going over today is the theology of organization. Mm, It's a good one to start with. Yeah. So, Benjamin, take it away. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that organizing or organization can be defined in two different ways. It can be first as more of the cleanliness way. Um, Having everything in order, making sure that everything looks spick and span, everything looks good and organized. Uh, The second, I think, is actually something that my mind didn't go to first. My mind went to the more cleanliness side. But um, the second idea behind organization is actually more of bringing stuff together. Like you are the party organizer for, uh, for your friend's birthday or something like that. You're bringing something together, you're making it happen, and you are the the life force behind some sort of event or opportunity or something like that. So so that's what comes to mind when I think about organization is those two forms. Which one are we going to try and tackle today? Or are we going to try and do both? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I think we can tackle both. But something that I wanted to mention that piggybacks off of that idea that you just said was that organization is the thing that God does in creation in Genesis 1. And Mm, it's the exact opposite of the world before creation, which was formless and void, which, Hmm. yeah, I think fits your two categories because you have the void side of things, which is negative, but then cleanliness is a positive version of that. And then formless is negative, but then bringing together is positive. So, Yeah, and I think going along with that, it's worth noticing that organization is very much an active process. It's something that you actively partake in to clean up the house, to clean up the room, uh, to bring something together. Like you are very much actively in that process. Um, And so it's not nothing passive. It's not something that you can just shrug your shoulders and let it go because eventually things will need to be organized or, you know, eventually you will need to do some organizing to make things happen. Um, and so similar to faith, organization is is active. It takes our full minds, it takes our full selves, and it requires that we put some mind behind our actions, which I thought was really cool. And yeah, it applies to uh, the creation story really well. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because just like the second law of thermodynamics says, things naturally tend to go from a state of order to a state of disorder. And so to reverse that, needs to be intentional right yeah and i think as image bearers of the god who organizes that's also a significant part of ourselves and not just Mm. the single area of like cleaning up your house but i think it's it's hard honestly to think of an area that it doesn't speak into sure and i guess we can give a couple examples of that yeah absolutely I think for one, um, when we're talking about organization in the in the bringing together form, um, that tends to be communal. You're usually planning something, bringing people together for one greater cause, um, and that ends up being relational. So that ties back into our episodes on community, and uh, that can go from anything from the gathering at a church to small groups to Bible studies, even to to like one on one mentorships. Um, and and really, what it is doing is is we are actively like we said before, actively mobilizing and engaging the world around us. We are bringing things together from disarray. We are bringing order out of the chaos, and we are engaging the world around us as chaotic as it is, which I think is super cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So you have organization of people and groups and cultures. You also have organization of ideas, which is thinking because if you really stop and reflect on it learning is about sorting thoughts and ideas out of the chaos and out of the randomness and so that's a huge part of what we do as humans right and it's it's something that we still have to be careful with right because yeah i think it's really easy for us to try to help things to make sense in our brains by just slapping labels on things and then mm. ruling them out or fully accepting them. But mm. that's that's not a very nuanced way to live. And so we have to be careful that we're not 
organizing in the sense of dumbing things down, but we're organizing in a way that recognizes that there is still messiness in the world and that's okay. And our own reason isn't the you know most important thing in this universe. Mm. Yeah, that's super great. And then kind of a subcategory of that, you have doctrinal organization, which is systematic theology. If you don't know what systematic theology is, first off, theology, right, is the study of God. And so systematic theology is taking the topic of God and splitting it up into all the different categories and trying to get a holistic picture of who God is. So talking Mm, about the Trinity and incarnation, all the different members of the Trinity and the process of salvation and end times and all those things all wrapped up into one. So that's a way that even the study of God can be organized. And there's books out there that do just that. Right. So those are just a couple, but there's also politics, right? That's organizing. History involves organizing. Cooking, Mm. books, board games. The list goes on and on. (laughs) Yeah. Organization is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Both forms of the word. Right. Next up on this episode of The Theology of Etc., we have The Theology of Modesty, which Mm. is a super cool suggestion we got from a listener, and it also came with the question, can we be too modest? Super interesting question. So thank you for asking. And when we think about modesty, I think there's two ways we can go about it. We can think about modesty in a general sense, and we can think about modesty in terms of clothing. And so when I see that question, I think the listener is trying to talk about the clothing aspect, but maybe we can focus on the general part first and then answer the question, because I think the theology of clothing could be its own episode entirely. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I found a really, really interesting article about all of this, and I'll quote a lot from it, hopefully here soon. But um, just to start off with a few basic definitions of modesty, and and maybe, again, aside from the clothing side of it, uh, more in the general sense, modesty is a humble estimate of one's own merits without conceit or vanity. Um, Modesty is also the avoidance of indecency. So those kind of tackle both the, the general side and the clothing side. But it's important to recognize modesty is not self-deprecation. Mm. Uh, it's not putting one down. It's not humility to the point of of low self-esteem. So it's important to make that difference, I think, between modesty and uh, and self-deprecation, but also to, to see how maybe in the general sense, aside from clothing, it, it's humility. Uh, it's an estimate of, of our own abilities and merits without having any sort of self-conceitedness or anything. Right. Yeah. And so often, like we said, we associate this with clothing, but modesty also involves the way that we act and the things that we say. 
and the yeah. way that we live our lives, all these choices that we make, we can either choose to be prideful and try to focus attention on ourselves, or be right. modest and follow Christ's example. Mm, yeah. And that article that I just mentioned uh, was written by Seth Stewart, and I'll definitely link it in the show notes because it's really, really good. And he has some some uh, golden nuggets of truth written within it. But one of those, he says, sermons on modesty often seem like they preach the reverse of modesty. They make our students remember themselves, their clothes, and their behaviors. And since it's about them, the self-righteously modest ones can look down on their immodest neighbors. At the end of the day, they can feel better about themselves, not because of what God has done, but because of how they chose to dress. And this is wrong. Modesty is humbling. Modesty first looks to our modest savior and what he did. To do otherwise makes modesty more about appropriate clothes than about Jesus, more about behaviors rather than loving others. It makes it more about ourselves than glorifying God. This is final immodesty, believing our dress can impress God. And this is just spiritual braggadocio and swagger. True modesty will always strip away pride before it covers it with layers. So I, you know, just all the metaphors piling on here. Yeah, he just really hits the nail on the head that that modesty is about Jesus. um, And it's meant to point back to him, looking less of ourselves and, and pointing back towards him. And so he has two little sections in this article, one that says Jesus first, clothes second, and then one that says clothes second, Jesus first. And so first looking at Jesus, Jesus was the most modest person who ever lived. If immodesty is the need to show off, consider how Jesus never showed off. He was God incarnate. He could have chosen to show that off multiple times. He was tempted multiple times to do so. He could have chosen to show off his wisdom and convince the Pharisees that he was God. Um, He could have chosen to show off his command of legions of angels, but instead he chose to be beaten by legions of men. Um, He could have chosen to show off and save himself on the cross. Rather, he chose to let them hang him until he died. And he could have shown off his justice and condemned everyone responsible for his execution, but instead he forgave his death squad and they didn't even know what they were doing. So Jesus had everything to show off, but he showed none of it. So that's true modesty. Jesus is honestly the true exemplar of modesty, if you will. And, And in the second section, he says, clothe second Jesus first. So maybe we might ask, okay, what's the list of rules? How many inches should the the skirt be below the knee? And, um, you know, what brands are acceptable? Which ones would be good for Christians? You know, obviously we can't do that. Um, To give us a list would honestly betray how we are to pursue modesty. Modesty can't be measured by inches and fingers. It's rather measured by Jesus's love for us. So he says, will what you're wearing draw attention to you? Will it show off your body, your physique, your status, your brand name wearing self? Does it put you on display? Does it make it harder for others to be holy? Or does it reflect the kind of modesty Jesus had? Jesus, having all power, chose to show off none of it. Jesus, having all of that beauty, disguised all of it. So the kind of modesty he's talking about here is is not an external, it's more an internal. Um, It's talking about our heart, it's talking about our purity, Um, And it's talking about the significance of others over ourselves. So I just think, man, this article is so, so good. You should definitely read it afterwards. But yeah, there's, there's theology, both in a general sense and in a practical clothing sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because those are some Mm -hmm. really, really good insights. Yeah. And 
as you were saying those things, it reminded me of something that I heard about recently. And ironically enough, I can't remember where it was. Um, so maybe I should listen back to our last episode again. Um, but <laughs> yeah, basically the premise of it was modesty isn't just something for women to care about as far as their appearance, but it's also something for me as a man to consider when there's people around me who aren't dressing in what I would consider, you know, modest attire. How do I treat them? Do I treat Mm. them with this pharisaic avoidance and shaming? Mm. Or do I show people dignity even if they're not dressed modestly and in so doing point them back to Christ more than I would if I didn't do that. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think it's yeah. something that we can all learn from. And at the heart of it, it's not about inches, like you said, but it's about being selfless and looking to the needs of right. others, which means that, you know, these standards aren't immediately something we should throw in the trash, right? Right. They're can be value in them, but we have to get the heart of it first. Because if we don't get the heart, then it's just not going to make any sense why we have these arbitrary rules that we set up. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to our question, can we be too modest? I say no. I think that if we're looking at modesty in the true form of the word, like we defined earlier, I think if it's all about selflessness, and it's all about who we are purifying ourselves to be on the inside, then we need all the modesty we can get. If it becomes about us and it becomes us self-glorifying ourselves like we saw in the article, then that's not modesty anymore. Um, It's become selfish. But if we want to practice what we preach and if we want to point back to the Creator with everything that we do, we need to strive to be as modest as Jesus was. Up next on our list was a suggestion from a listener of the theology of holidays, which I thought this was super interesting and also a very, very good suggestion. So thank you for that. Um, But uh, yeah, let's dive into this one. I think it's important also to recognize with holidays, this does not just include like the big holidays, if you will. Like when doing some research for this, I was like, you know, I'm looking for, okay, you know, Christmas, Easter, like uh, 4th of July, like New Year's Eve, whatever, like those big holidays. But what I was finding more of, surprisingly, was actually more of the regular things of our life. It was like the other rhythms. So like summer break or spring break um, or date nights or family vacations or stuff like that. Like those were more of those holidays that were coming up when when searching for a theology of holidays is is those regular rhythms in our lives that we look forward to. So it's not just the big Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, you know, whatever. Um, it's it's more on a smaller scale too, which I thought was super cool. But yeah, what do you think about theology of holidays? Yeah, I think to start, 
if we go to scripture and see what the scriptural precedent for holidays is, it's all over the place. We start with creation and we have the Sabbath, the day of rest that is woven into creation. We have Israel and all the festivals that they do and the year of Jubilee and all these festivals that are meant to give the people rest. You have Jesus and the several times where he takes time away from the crowds and brings his disciples aside um, to rest. And so when we take all of those and we look at this overall theology of rest that is created in scripture, I think that rest is meant to give us a picture of salvation. Hmm. And I think that's really clearly seen in Jesus's ministry, because in Luke, when Jesus is announcing his messianic ministry beginning, he mentions the year of Jubilee and mentions that he's the fulfillment of that. Hmm. And you think about, you know, going to the end of the story, you have the Passion Week, which is matched with Passover. And so we have these Jewish holidays that are being used together with the storyline of Jesus to demonstrate the salvation that he's going to bring. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I think it, again, gets at the point that you know, these, these little liturgies, um, and this can go back to our episodes on seasons and, and other places that we've brought up liturgies, but these little rhythms um, that, that Jesus so greatly exemplified um, and the, the little things that we add into our weeks and our months um, as, as little little holidays, if you will, is, is so important. And it reminds me of a quote. This is um, coming after a book written by James Smith, Uh, called Desiring the Kingdom, Uh, but it says to follow Smith in somewhat more broadly defining liturgy as the daily communal actions that perhaps unconsciously order our hearts, desires, and objects of worship, we see that holidays, when fully embraced and celebrated, should naturally give way to daily reflection and a never-ceasing perspective of ourselves as incarnately grounded within the global church, aka the body of Christ. So just these little things and these little ways that you go about your day and uh, go about your week and the little holidays that you create for yourself, uh, we are reflecting the body of Christ as a whole, which I think is super, super cool. So it goes along with what you were just saying. Right. Absolutely. And when we're talking about holidays here, we also have to mention that not everybody celebrates every holiday and that's okay. That's something that we can live with. Um, An example of kind of the opposite of the case that we've been making about the good side of holidays is a quote from A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God. He says, a man is not nearer to Christ on Easter Sunday than he is, say, on Saturday, August 3rd or Monday, October 4th. As long as Christ sits on the mediatorial throne, Every day is a good day, and all days are days of salvation. And Hmm. I think that, you know, we would also agree with parts of that and recognize that it's true that there's not some magical thing 
in holidays that sets them apart, even though they can be right. used to reset our perspective. But yeah, when we're trying to navigate disagreements within the body of Christ about uh, holidays, I think a really, really clear passage on it is Romans 14 verses 5 through 6. And we mentioned this in our episode on celebration, but I'll bring it up again. Paul says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it to honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Hmm. So if our focus is on bringing glory to God, then either decision is acceptable. Hmm. Yeah. So going back to maybe the broader sense of the theology of holidays, uh, I bring you a, a quote again from that same article uh, called The Theology of Holiday. And uh, it says, this means that reflection is not restricted to simply Christmas and Easter and then forgotten for the rest of the year, but rather reflection grows out of a lifestyle where worship is daily and constant and ever in anticipation of celebration through holidays. In much the same way, the Christian week does not consist of holy time on Sunday and a secular time throughout the rest of the week, but rather Sunday service is a time of celebration for community of believers who are already doing life and worship together. This concept of liturgy is, again, easy to perceive in the areas of our lives that we consider secular. Take, for instance, the liturgy of a high school football team. In this analogy, the players worship daily through communal practices that orient their hearts, minds, and bodies toward a uniting purpose. Friday night games thus become holidays in which that unity is celebrated. Reflection is present, but nearly inseparable from their actions, both in preparation for and during the holy game, and as they continue to participate in this culture of sports, they continue to be grounded in liturgy and worship. So though it may seem like a new concept to the contemporary Christian, such practice is not without precedent in the history of the Christian church. It may be dusty, but the liturgical calendar is very much alive and well, or at least alive in many churches throughout the world. So I think it's so cool to look back on what you know we were talking about with seasons and celebrations and stuff like that and Take it in the big sense with, you know, the big holidays each year, but also very much on a small scale and realize that that liturgy and, and these holidays are woven into our daily lives. And, and there are many celebrations. Um, there are many times for reflection on the provision of God and how he's working through each of our lives. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a timely topic, right? Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in that article you mentioned how it's not just restricted to christmas but christmas is coming up and that's a pretty significant holiday i think yeah, we can all agree is. and so right. this is just kind of a random thought that i've had about christmas but i think this would be a good time to mention it i think that we have this idea of christmas sometimes where you have the Jesus side of things and the focus on him. And then you have all the secular things like presents and all the other stuff that gets lumped along with Christmas. Right. Yeah. But I think we can see presents in a 
Christological sense when we recognize Mm -hmm. that Christmas is all about gifts, the biggest gift of all time, which was God incarnate. And so Mm -hmm. just a, a picture in my head that helps me to reset my perspective is instead of thinking about Christmas as presence under a tree, I think about it as presence under a cross. Hmm. And that, I don't know, for me, that just helps me to remind myself of the bigger picture. Yeah. So as we head into this Christmas season, there's a thought for you to chew on. Topic number four on the agenda for this episode is the theology of friendship, which is such a fun topic to think about, and uh, we're very thankful for that suggestion. So uh, yeah, Riker, what do, you, what do you think? What do you got? Yeah, absolutely. We talked about this a little bit in the community episode, but friendship is more important than I think we recognize uh, in Christian circles. Because you think about these analogies that were given of the church being, you know, a building, the church being the body of Christ. And if those right. are true, then friendship is the mortar. Friendship is the ligaments. Um, yeah. And yeah, defining friendship as this Christ-like love. But it really is significant in the way that we interact with one another as believers and also interact with the world around us. Yeah, that's a really cool image to, to picture. Um, I think a really great place to look for friendship and uh, community, if you will, this ties back to those episodes, but uh, is, is Paul. And uh, his letter to the Philippians is especially uh, very strong with, with a lot of things that go into friendship. And uh, starting at the beginning, this is his greeting. Philippians 1, 3 through 8. He's giving thanks and he's praying for, for the Philippians. But uh, it is an interesting definition, if you will, of friendship that, that Paul gives. It's not so much concrete as it is abstract, um, but there's, there's some basis for, for us and how, how we are to form our friendships based off of uh, Paul's relationship with the Philippians. And so Um, Starting in verse three, he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partner in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it and until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And I actually did a little bit of digging on this uh, sort of topic and how Paul really gives us this great basis for how our friendships are supposed to look like. Um, and it comes from the, uh, the Greek word phronesis, and uh, a derivative of that is phronian. And in chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. Um, so that idea of to feel... Uh, as well as to share, uh, it's this idea of like-mindedness, uh, this this friendship, this bond, this relationship 
that Paul and the Philippians have. And that actually comes back up again in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, where he's saying, uh, thank you for, for the gifts that they gave him. Uh, so he says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Uh, and then he goes on to thank them. But this idea of concern um, is, again, a relational word. It, it derives from phronian. It, it's this uh, like-mindedness where they know each other very well. They have this friendship, this relational bond that is unbreakable, it seems. And so, you know, it's this idea of this affectionate concern for one another, um, this idea of fellowship when they come together, this joy, um, but also sharing in their sorrows and sharing in their pain. So he talks very, very bluntly about how um, I was imprisoned and, and you helped me. You you were able to carry me through that. Um, so it's just, it's such a cool, cool thought. Just not only the good, the exhortation of one another, but also enduring suffering for one another. And so those things come up uh, multiple times in Philippians. So that that good side where, you know, this, this Christ-like way of thinking, uh, this like-mindedness that, that's in Philippians 2, 12 through 16, as well as in chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 18, uh, and then in the bad as well, enduring suffering for one another. That's in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, um, as well as in chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. So it's this idea of willingly undertaking things because of this strong, unbreakable bond um, this like-mindedness between people. And everything that we've said up until this point about friendship is good and true, and it probably fits within our comfort zone. But we also have to remember that Christ calls us outside of that comfort zone. Yeah. And we look at a verse like Luke six thirty-two about how it's not that special just to love the lovable because anybody can do that. And that just, oh, that gets right to the heart <laughs> of what it means to live counterculturally because yeah. not only are we called to have this attitude of friendship towards those in our community, those people that we like, but we're also supposed to extend friendship even to our enemies. Mm. Yeah, so there's a there's a challenge for you today. But definitely, I think a lot of the things with the theology of community tie over here. So definitely go check out those episodes for more on this. Last, but certainly not least, we have... The Theology of Podcasts. Dun, 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 dun. It was very, very clever. Good, good suggestion. <laughs> theology of Podcasts. How in the world are we going to relate scripture and theology with podcasts? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, man. I mean, this goes back to to sort of our mission statement. Why why a podcast? Like, why didn't we just create a YouTube channel or, you know, pick people out on the street to talk to? I don't know. <laughs> you know, why why did we choose to 
to formulate this as we as we did. And I think there's a couple of key key things that I I came up with at least um, that that podcasts are really really great for. Um, you know, there's there's downsides to podcasts as well, um, but you know, I think that they can be used for a lot of good. And the first is is for ministry. Simply what we're what we're trying to do here in some sense of the word. Uh, there are plenty of podcasts out there that talk about the Bible, that talk about, you know, practical application of God's word and, um, you know, some that are just merely devotionals and stuff like that. And those are all really, really great. There's so much within a podcast that just because of its widespread use today, it is such a great tool for ministry. And it is such a great tool to just be able to, you know, again, show someone your phone and say, hey, you heard of this podcast before? It's really cool. Probably will give you a lot to think about because it gave me a lot to think about. And, um, you know, it's just a, such a great opportunity for ministry and, and outreach um, because we're not restricted by walls necessarily. We could send this podcast to somebody on the opposite side of the world, which if you're listening on the other side of the world, hello, it is great to see you. And uh, we're really glad that you're here. But, you know, like it's so cool that technology nowadays has opened up the borders so much for us that we can get these messages and ideas out to the other side of the world. And I, I just, I think that's so cool. I could go on about that forever, but uh, yeah. What do you think? That's a really good point. Yep. I think another really cool thing about podcasts is they allow for a conversation to happen, right? It's more relational than other mediums are. Because if you think about it, it's almost like this podcast is creating a conversation that's frozen in time that mm. 20 years from now we could come back to. Or exactly. like you were saying, someone in Herzegovina could listen to. So it allows us not just to have this be a wooden theological set of ideas but allow it to be more engaging and more right, yeah. about the listener and you benjamin and myself all working together along the way yeah that is super cool and it links together two of our past episodes both technology and community where we examined uh, the pros and cons of modern day technology but also how we can incorporate faith into it and into our community and relationships and friendships and so yeah, it's just been this really, really cool journey to see how the two of those have played out through the medium of of a podcast and through a conversation like this. Yeah, and when you think about it, you might not realize it at the moment, but by listening and going on this journey with us, you're living out Psalms 1 verse 2, this yeah. idea of meditating on God's word day and night, which is such a cool thing to get to do because as we think about these things more and let them shape our outlook more it starts to mold us more and more into christ's image and so that's just such a cool way that the lord can use something like this for his glory and we hope that that's what is done in the end of the day
So there you have it. We have just finished season one of the Theology of Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And yes, air horns for days. Loving it. Keeping the celebration going. And uh, we'd love to celebrate with you on our social media pages. Feel free to follow us and like us on Facebook and Instagram. Check us out there. We're always doing fun things on our social medias. Speaking of fun things, the Theology of officially has merch. Woohoo! That's right. We have a sticker and a magnet. Yeah, we and do. And we tried to make it as cheap as possible. We're not getting any commission off of this, but we want to make it available. So if stickers is something you're into and you like the logo, then check out the description and we'll post the link to the Redbubble site. Yeah, definitely check out the Redbubble shop. Also, feel free to send us an email at theologyof at outlook.com. We would love to hear from you. And uh, yeah, so what's next? We don't know. We're going to take some time to... uh, to take off and just to uh, you know reflect on this season, reflect on your uh, love and support that you've given us and how God has worked through this season of podcast episodes. And uh, you know we'll we'll let you know when we figure out what's coming next. For now, we hope that you enjoy the next couple weeks. Hopefully, it is with family and friends and uh, celebrating Christmas and uh, the turn of the new year. We're almost done with 2020. We're about to approach 2021. And uh, we're really excited for all of the new things that are going to be coming our way. So stay tuned for all of that. One last time, we wanted to thank Luke and Tyler Hall for the incredible music that they have provided for us. We're so thankful um, for, yeah, just your generosity in helping us out in that way. Also want to give a huge shout out to Benjamin for doing all of the editing and technical side of this. (laughs) I definitely would not have any idea what I was doing, but he has rocked it. So thank you so much, Benjamin. Really appreciate it. (laughs) Of course, man. Yeah. And shout out to you, my friend. Thank you for being my partner in crime through this entire thing. And when I presented you with this crazy podcast idea, you took it and you ran with it. So shout out to Riker. And shout out to all of you, our fans and listeners. Thanks again for sticking with us and tuning in to all of these awesome episodes and conversations. We appreciate you so much, and we hope you have a great rest of your year. Love you all. Thank you so much. See you around. We'll see you on the other side. 